Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running Podcast. I'm your host, Liz, um, and I've just created this podcast to share my experiences and really just talk on different topics that I am passionate about and things that I have found resiliency in running and getting through these things. But um, yeah, just ultimately would love to share them with you and hopefully impact one of you. And today's topic is going to be running from trauma. And so this is going to be probably one of my longer episodes and a very close to home um, episode for me. So I was debating putting a trigger warning at the beginning of this, and I still will, I guess, just uh, in case anyone is triggered by sexual assault, but I do want to say that I really want to be very informational with this, and I want to really be able to speak with both people that are victims of sexual assault as well as people who know people that are victims of sexual assault because I know that it's a very tough topic to talk about and really hard to understand if you're someone who knows someone. And so I guess my goals with the episode are just to be as informational as possible, both through my experiences personally as well as research. So yeah, I will put the trigger warning out there, but yeah, if if anything, I do just want to be very informational and educational with this. So I wanted to start by saying and sharing that genuinely before my personal experience with sexual assault, I never really had too much exposure to what exactly sexual assault was. Um, I think being where I am now, I think it's something that really should be talked about more in high schools and you really should be talking about it at a younger age just to implement really, you know, educational standards around what consent is and whatnot. But I, previous to my experience, I just had never really had much um, knowledge around it. It wasn't until my college years, and I think it must have been my first or second year, where we had something called green dot training. And this was kind of training to help you in trying to be a better ally and not like a bystander in situations of sexual assault. So that did kind of open up my eyes to it. But I feel like once you get to your first or second year of college, that tends to be a bit too late for a lot of young women and men. So I just wanted to start by just running through some hard research facts, and these were all taken from the CDC website. So starting with women, more than one in three women have experienced sexual violence that involves physical contact during her lifetime. Nearly one in five women have experienced completed or attempted rape during her lifetime. One in three female rape victims have experienced it for the first time between the ages of 11 to 17 years old. One in eight female rape victims reported that it occurred before age 10. And for men, nearly one in four men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact during his lifetime. Nearly one in 38 men have experienced completed or attempted rape during his lifetime. About one in four male rape victims experienced it for the first time between 11 to 17 years old. And about one in four male rape victims reported that it occurred before age 10. I think these are always really hard statistics to hear. Every time I look at them, I just feel like they get worse and worse. And what's even more heartbreaking and something that I can resonate with is that perpetrators of sexual violence often know the victim. So this is based off the rain.org website. 
eight out of 10 rapes are committed by someone known to the victim. Only 19.5% are committed by a stranger. 39% are committed by an acquaintance. 33% are committed by a current or former spouse, boyfriend, or girlfriend. 6% are committed by more than one person or the victim cannot remember. And 2.5% are committed by a non-spouse relative. So kind of just diving into those statistics, um, I personally was sexually assaulted in February of 2016, and it was by someone that I knew. Um, I think at the time, I would have called him a coworker and somewhat of a friend that I would see at parties sometimes. Similar to many victims of sexual assault, my kind of immediate response to the trauma was not to take any action. I did tell like a very select number of people, but even then it was a really tough thing and kind of a weird thing to talk about for me. And I think this was just because mentally I was still trying to kind of process and understand what had happened. And these few friends that I did tell obviously were trying to push me and tell me that I needed to take action because, you know, they were trying to get across to me, you know, Liz, you were raped and you need to do something about that. And it just kind of like the statement, hearing the statement just kind of like stunned me and it didn't really seem real because I think at that point, like I said, I just didn't really know much about it. But I think at that point, I just knew that rape was a really bad thing. I think the other part of it which just made it even harder was the fact that I knew this guy and he was someone that I worked with, someone that I saw at parties and it just, it didn't really, it, it wasn't making sense to me. Like why would someone like that want to do such a terrible thing to me? I also just had a really hard time kind of trying to make the decision to report it and I think while there was a really strong part of me that did want to, obviously there was also a part of me that was well aware that I knew this person and as soon as I reported it he would be notified and this would just like my life would blow up essentially and I think I was just really scared of what was to come and I was also just kind of unsure because it was someone that I knew like I feel like if it were a stranger I feel like I would have like it wouldn't be a second thought for me but for some reason I was just like it took me a bit of time to really like understand that this was a problem that I needed to report and even when I finally decided to take action and this was after talking to my therapist and an advisor that was within the title IX offices at my university um, even then, once I had reported it, I still was kind of second-guessing myself all the time because I was like, did I do the right thing? Like, was this, you know, should I have not done this? I, I'm not sure about this. And it was such an uneasy feeling. But this quote that I saw recently actually really sat well with me. It says, reporting an abuser doesn't ruin their life. They did that to themselves. Reporting an abuser doesn't damage the reputation. It makes it more accurate. Reporting an abuser doesn't hurt their family, it protects them from abuse. Reporting an abuser isn't gossip, it's integrity. Now, I won't go too in-depth into my own Title IX case, but I will say that the length of time that it took um, was well over a year. It was really exhausting and very emotionally exhausting because I had to kind of count, I had to countlessly retell my story again and again and kind of just relive those emotions on like a regular basis. What I also wasn't expecting and was kind of the worst part of it all, I guess, is that people will judge you for reporting your trauma. And 
I think this is just such a massive issue, and it still is to this day, that people genuinely think that some of these people reporting sexual assault are like liars, and they're trying to just cause some drama and stir the pot. And sure, there are probably a small percentage of people out there doing that, but I think the underlying story is that this is a massive issue, and it happens way too often. There is so much statistics and so much research to back it that we just need to be believing victims more. I will say that one of the things that I will never forget about the case is the day that I found out that I won my case. And I I know that a lot of girls and men do not report their cases. And I like I'm very well aware that it is a very hard thing to do. And sometimes when people do report their cases, a lot of people don't get justice. So I think I was very lucky and I was just also very prepared and I had a lot of evidence ready to fight. And the day that I found out that I won my case, I was walking back from class, I think in my junior year of college, and I was walking back to my apartment and I got the email once I had gotten back to my room in my apartment. And I just remember seeing those words and falling to my knees and just crying. And that song, Rise Up, I forget by who, but um, I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. That was the song that like was the song that I wanted to play because it just, it resonated so much. And just the shivers that I got of just knowing that I had finally for once stood up for myself and fought for myself. And also learning within my case that there were other girls that, you know, were victims and knowing that I was also not only fighting for those girls, but preventing this man from ever doing this to future girls was just so reassuring to me. And just, it was, it was very emotional. I feel like I'm about to get emotional. There are a couple topics that I do want to discuss just because these were personal things that I experienced and just things that people may not know about. Um, And the first thing is post-sexual assault intimacy. And this may sound really confusing and weird um, put together, but it's really not being able to enjoy intimacy or it can just be difficult and scary to be intimate with someone after having such a traumatic experience. Like, I remember once, I think this was, like, probably one of the first dates that I let myself go on after the sexual assault happened, and it was such a decent date, and the guy was really awesome and very polite, very gentleman, and, um, and like, really hadn't tried anything the entire date, and then he walked me to my door, and... Um, went in to kiss me and even just kind of when he was putting his hand on my back to kind of pull me in closer was like a trigger for me and just like sent me on this like spiral of just emotions and I had to like run into my apartment before I started crying and it's it's definitely something that you won't be expecting but something that people that experience sexual assault may struggle with. So while these different acts of intimacies, so like different types of intimacies can cause feelings of anxiety and may ruin the experience like it did for me and kind of take over, um, you can't always control these waves, but you can control how you react to them. 
So what my therapist really helped me learn is that you really need to kind of learn how to manage triggers and healing from sexual assault sometimes requires setting sexual boundaries with all sexual partners. And this just means establishing what consent looks like between you and your partner. And if you think about it, establishing boundaries is a gesture that suggests that someone wants to keep their connection with you rather than push you away. And at the end of the day, I think it's just important to remember that your body is yours and your own. And it is kind of something that you're trying to build up to be this safety zone again. Another experience that I had that I sort of mentioned earlier is just victim blaming and victim shaming. And this is just when people think that people who are victims of sexual assault are lying. And people sometimes will even go as far as taking sides with the perpetrator. Um, But I think that one thing that's really important is that we need to try and learn to change language. Um, And this is just something as simple as like changing she was raped to he raped her. Um, from protect your daughter to educate your son and saying things like we can't change the society change that to we will fight for our society until we get it because we need to fight for safety and we need to be able to feel safe walking home from places um, being with our friends people who we think are our friends and that sort of a thing Another quote that I really love is by someone by the name of Nao Jones, um, and it says, to defend a rapist is to see something of yourself in him. So I think this just means don't be a rapist apologist. Don't stay silent when someone's making a rape joke. Um, It doesn't make you cool, by the way, Um, and this just kind of also coincides with the bystander effect, which says we are less likely to help someone in need when there are other people present. So I wanted to end on a couple of things that this account on Instagram called the Women's Republic um, talk about. And I think this specifically speaks to that audience that knows someone that's experienced sexual assault but doesn't really understand um, what maybe sexual assault is or what their experience may have been. And this will just help you be um, a better friend or just be a better support system for that specific person. So when you find out that someone close to you has been sexually assaulted or abused, you may not be able to fully understand their pain. You may also feel confused about how to be there for them, but things like patience, support, and an understanding can help them recover from their trauma. Something really important is to ensure that they know that they aren't alone. Um, I think it's important to make that person feel supported and to let them know how loved they are. Um, And as as well, ensuring that it's not their fault and that you're there to help are really helpful things. So kind of going off what I was speaking about earlier, it's also important to be cautious about physical intimacy. Um, Someone who has just been sexually assaulted may be sensitive to others' touch. So things like asking for permission before holding or touching them and um, expressing your affection verbally as much as possible are really helpful things. So this next one is really important, I think, um, and it's to let them recount the incident at their own pace. So a lot of victims, um, like me, find it difficult to open up about what happened as the pain is still raw in their minds. Um, so don't don't pressure them to divulge details. Instead, just let them know that you are there whenever they're ready um, and you will be there to listen and just support them in any way possible. 
Another one that's probably fairly obvious is to encourage them to seek help, but I think it's important that you don't make that person feel forced to do so. You can help them in coming to that decision if they do ask, but pushing them to report their rape or sexual assault may really make them feel extremely uncomfortable to do so. So I think it's really important that helping them come to that decision is a much more healthier way of being supportive in that instance. This next one is probably for people that are really close to these victims of sexual assault. So if they're like family members or really good friends or even loved ones, um, I think it's really important to be mindful, but especially patient. Victims can take a long time to heal from the trauma of rape or sexual assault if they ever do. Um, They may experience flashbacks and nightmares, and some even suffer from PTSD. So it's important to give them time to heal and offer them help and support through the healing process. But just, I think, having that basis understanding that this is not something that's just going to easily go away. And for someone like me, I think it took me about a year or two. I would even go as far as three years. Um, I I can sit here now and say that I'm pretty recovered from it and I don't really experience too many triggers, but I will say that a bit earlier on in my case, as well as just in the first few months of um, when the assault had happened, I was very emotional about it, as I mentioned, but also I had like these reoccurring nightmares. They didn't have anything to do with the sexual assault like trauma of itself like I wasn't like replaying that in my dreams but it was just like really scary dreams of this guy like stalking me or like being outside my window and so it really like I just did not feel safe like in my own home even though I was living in a very safe apartment complex I like it was just little things like that that a lot of people just may not understand but I think just being able to be patient with those people and try and be there for them the best that you can is really like the most that you can do. So lastly I just want to say that it's important to remember to take care of yourself Um, Learning that a loved one has had to go through such a devastating experience is not an easy process and I still remember the day that I decided to tell my parents. I actually kept it from them for a long time even when it was like super early on in the case Um, and I remember I finally just like it just came to me and I was just like okay I'm gonna tell them like I finally feel okay and it was in a restaurant. It was a very casual restaurant and we were just having lunch but it just like seeing the look on your parents' face of you telling them that you've experienced sexual assault is it's like one of the most heartbreaking things I think that I've ever experienced and witnessed and been a part of. And so I think just speaking to those people that are kind of taking in that information, um, it's not an easy process at all. Um, so I think it's just important that you try to be as calm and relaxed as possible so that the victim feels safe and able to process their emotions. But definitely don't hesitate to ask for help if you feel like the process has taken a negative toll on your own mental health. So I just wanted to end on two different quotes. Um, One is for the audience that I was just kind of connecting with, um, people that know victims of sexual assault. And it's, I always wondered why someone didn't do something about that, that I realized I am someone. And then for people that are victims of sexual assault, um, this quote is, bravery is relative to our own personal struggles. Never let anyone make you feel like your brave isn't worth celebrating. 
Before I go, I will just leave the National Sexual Assault Hotline in um, the show notes as well as just mention it here. It is 1-800-656-4673. I know that I usually say this in kind of the end part of my episodes when the music cues on and everything, but this one was a really special episode for me and I've never really been this open about my experience um, publicly and so I really do hope that it um, hopefully resonated with you or impacted you or just helped you feel like you do have a voice and that you do matter and that your sexual assault experience matters. And if you ever feel like talking to someone about it, I hope you do feel like you can speak about it because it is really important that we just start talking about this more. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up what is my longest episode so far on my podcast. Um, Again, I really do hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, I would love to hear it. Um, I I believe you can leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, but if you would like to reach me directly, I am on Instagram. Um, Personally, is at Liz Newcomer, and the podcast Instagram is at Resiliency and Running. Um, And yeah, I hope that you are going to stick around and I hope to see you in the next episode. (laughs) Bye.